us are ready for God's word this morning. You know, as an introduction to my message, I want to share a video with you. And before I do, I wanted to let you know that last week I had a lot of questions. Say, Pastor, did something happen? Was there an announcement you need to make? Was there an engagement of some sort? I said, well, um, I didn't make a formal one because I wanted my family to have an opportunity of knowing and Christian's family to have an opportunity of knowing. And then, um, then I thought I'd, I'd share this video with you and thank you for being an amazing church. Forever can never be long enough for me I feel like I've had long enough with you Forget the world now, we won't let them see But there's one thing left to do Not that the weight has lifted Love has surely shifted my
that's my baby girl. And um, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to preach after that. <laughs> um, you know, Josh Rickardson, thank you for making the video. You're extremely talented. And um, you know, I, I noticed something that gives me a different perspective, even from what I had this morning. Um, man, Christian, you're a lucky dude. Because um, she looks at you the way that girl looks at me. <laughs> You know, I, I look at that and I think, I, I want to share with you, we're, we're talking about vantage point or vantage. The van, a vantage, uh, defined very simply, is a position giving a strategic advantage, commanding, uh, commanding perspective or comprehensive view. It's a better perspective. It's a better view. That, that, that's it in a nutshell. And uh, I needed a better view. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when Christian called, uh, just to give you some backstory, we were over at uh, Rick and Christy's house and uh, um, Christy had asked my wife to come over and help her pick some, some paint colors and some flooring. I don't know what they were doing, a couple things. I happened to tag along and uh, while I was there, I got a phone call and uh, it, was, it was Christian. So I said, oh, Christian Rivera, I kind of went around the corner to another room and I took the call and you can imagine he's on the other line. I said, yes, son, how, how's it going? How can I help you? He says, uh, Pastor Chris, I was wondering if you might have some time in the next couple days, you and Pastor Melissa. I had something I wanted to share with you and something I wanted to ask. And I'm going, oh, oh man. I start feeling weird all of a sudden. I started, uh, and I say weird because I've never felt this before. And I said, uh, well, I figure we can maybe squeeze some time in sometime next year. Uh, <laughs> that's what I, I felt like saying. I said, yeah, let me talk to Pastor Melissa. I get off the phone and I go over to Pastor Melissa. She goes, everything all right? He goes, yeah, no, everything's all right. Well, what did he say? He said, he wants to meet with us. And Christy goes, oh my gosh, is it what I think it is? And then I'm like, I hope not. <laughs> And uh, my perspective was, I, I literally, I, my, you know, Christy's getting excited, Melissa's getting, looking at me, and I'm like, love, we, we gotta go. Oh, we gotta leave, like, now. And so I dismissed myself, and we got in the truck, and Miss Betty, we'd barely gotten on the road. Like, I pulled out and gotten on the road, and I broke down crying. I'm looking at my wife, and I'm just crying, like, worse than I'm doing now, like, sobbing. And she's like, uh, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? You know, she wants me to tell her and I can't hardly talk. And I said, I'm not ready. That's what I said. I'm not ready. Um, I, and I kept saying, I need more time. And how many of you know, felt like just yesterday. Talk about perspective. There's those moments in life that help you realize how short this thing is. Now you're holding your baby girl and the next thing, somebody else is holding her. And how I kept saying to 
God, I'm not ready. God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So I jokingly told Christian when he sat down with me and he began to ask, I said, you know why I named her Raquel? Her name is Raquel, which is in English, Rachel. Rachel in the Old Testament. <laughs> for those of you who know the story, you know where I'm going with this. Jacob asked for her hand and, his da- and her dad said, you've got to work seven years for her. I said, you've got to work seven years. Uh, we can start today. It starts now, you know. And, uh, you know, the truth is uh, I was having this conversation with God because all day I was struggling and I felt like I needed God's help. Come on, how many of us struggle but yet never ask God? How many of us know that when you ask, you will receive an answer? The Bible says, if you ask, it will be answered. If you knock, it will be opened. If you seek, you will find. And so I began to seek another perspective because my perspective was causing too much pain. My perspective was, Lord, I'm not ready. Forget about her. I'm not ready. (laughs) Forget about Christian. I'm not ready, God. I need more time with my girl. I need more time with my family. I'm just not ready. And God said, son, 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 how old would you want her to be? No, no, seriously, how many of you know that God speaks to you and he will begin to drop in your heart a perspective and you go, well, how do you know that wasn't me? I'm not that wise. I'm having trouble. This voice is, is cutting through the trouble. It's cutting through with peace. It's cutting through with, the, with a calmness and a, and a serenity that can only be explained like out of this world. That's what God says. A peace that transcends understanding that's outside coming in. And this peace was crashing in asking, how old would you like her to be? Would you would have been comfortable uh, when you asked for your wife's hand? at 19 and I'm like no Lord at 30 no 24 is good so they'll be 24 maybe maybe can we wait long engagement 20 26 you know but but this is and then he began to ask me have you done a good job do you feel like you've done a good job I said yeah Lord you've done a good job And then he began to just give me more and more and more perspective. And the one that really cinched it was this. I want you to think about how gracious your father-in-law was when you sat down with him. And how strong and how much he trusted me. And I need you to trust me. And I said, Lord, that's all I needed to hear. Because for 23 years, that's all I've done is trust you. How many of you know that there's nothing like trust in the Lord? And that's what we're talking about here today, getting a godly perspective. See, things that affect our perspective, the view of ourselves, the view of others or the view that they have of us, us of them and them of us, our circumstances and our situation. But what I want to present to you today, the way you get a godly perspective, the key to a godly perspective to see, to see life, to see you, to see your family, to see your marriage, to see your children, to see your job, your profession, your life, your days, everything. 
through a godly perspective, God, from God's point of view and God's eyes for you, is to get in his word, prayer, and worship. Those are the cornerstones. If you want to add one more, you could add fasting. Now you've got four corners of a firm foundation that you can build on and really, really, really experience God's best. You pray and you get to know God. You fast and you get to know God. You read his word and you get to know God. And then you worship and you give him thanks and you pour out your heart and you let it be more than just about you. You make him the center of your universe. This is, these are the keys. I want to remind you of what Isaiah said about his word because today we're going to talk about God's word. Last week we used these verses and, and, the, and Isaiah is the prince of prophets. I don't know if you know that, but he is the prince of prophets. He is the most respected of all the prophets throughout history. And, and one of the reasons is, I believe, is because he touched the holiness of God. God revealed himself to him. He saw him on his throne. And there in the throne room of grace, God touched his lips with holiness. And he spoke the words of the Most High. And he says this in Isaiah 55. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts." Can I tell you that day when I was struggling, I called out to the Lord. I said, Lord, these are my thoughts. This is my point of view. I need your point of view. I need to see things for what they truly are because right now I'm, I'm feeling about what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm losing. And God said, let me share with you what you're gaining. Amen. It's the difference between the glass half full and half empty. I was thinking, oh Lord, the glass is half empty. And God is saying, no, it's half full. It, it's more than full. Matter of fact, you've already drank half of it. And when you drink that half, I'll give you another one. Because I've got you, son. He's beginning, he began to share with me. He said, this young man is a good young man. He loves me and he loves your daughter and he loves, he loves her fiercely. And you can trust him and you can know that he is honorable and he was raised right. And the more he began to share with me, the better I began to feel. How many of us know you need to hear God's voice speak over your situation? You need to hear God's word, God's word speak over your life. And so I honor you, Christian, because you have shown yourself to be worthy. Not perfect, but you seek the one who is perfect. And you know, those pictures there say it all. You know, he's, he's creative enough to, to set that whole thing up and propose to her and have a, have a photographer there. I never thought about that. And I won't steal their thunder because maybe Raquel will share with y'all later, but it, it, it's a pretty funny way. That it, my, my daughter's interesting. 
He's trying to get into the proposal and she's getting distracted with everything. But what I'm here to tell you is God is good. And here Isaiah talks about that goodness. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, that means he nourishes everything with water. Listen to what he says. So that we might eat, so that we might enjoy, so that we might experience that blessing. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. Can I tell you, the rain waters the ground, but God's word waters your heart, your soul, your spirit. God's word waters your heart, your soul, your spirit. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of thorn bushes, you will grow juniper, cedars, pines, and instead of briars and thistles, you will have crate myrtles and trees of fruit. This will be the Lord's renown. This, is, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign. I'm going to make you a sign to the people. Jeremiah says this. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you what? Hope and a future. And I want you to think about that word hope. Hope is an expectation for the future. Something that is going to happen that is worth waiting for, that it's worth holding on for. Some of us have no hope because we haven't bothered to hear the hope of God. The hope of God is here for us. Now he says this, he goes on to say, then verse 12, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity. See, they had just entered into captivity. Now I need you to understand something. Jeremiah and Daniel are writing at the same time, but they more than likely don't know each other because Daniel is in where? He's in Babylon and Jeremiah's where? In Jerusalem and Judea, he's, in, he's with his people. He has not been taken captive yet. Daniel was taken captive in the first Exile, the first group of people that were taken and, and transported from Jerusalem to Babylon included Daniel and his friends. He was a young man of about 14. He was a teenager of some, uh, 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 about that age. He was taken into exile. And King Nebuchadnezzar would, listen, he would, the Bible says this, would look for the, for the, the smartest, the brightest, the best looking and the most capable, more than likely, I would have been taken. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How about, yeah, I can see some husbands going, yeah, I would have, I would have been taken. Uh, but um, so, so he would take the, 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 the best and the brightest, and then he would train them up and make them Babylonians so that they could come, come back and help him rule their people. And so 
this is what's going on. Now, I need you to understand something because Jeremiah was not thought of and well-respected by his people at his time. We think of Jeremiah now because his prophecies all came true, and we hold him in high regard, and we esteem him, and we honor him, but his people didn't. Why? Because he kept saying, this isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be fun, and it's going to last for 70 years while his contemporaries and other false prophets were saying this is going to be over quick. We're going to win. We're going to defeat Babylon. We're going to come back. We're going to do all of these things, and he kept saying, no, you're not. As a matter of fact, Babylon would come some seven times into Jerusalem and Judea and take captives back with them. And so sometimes we have to remember that God's word doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. It tells us what we need to hear. And nowadays there is a movement where we only want to hear what we want to hear. And so the Bible talks about in the end times we will raise up, right? We will raise up preachers that tell us what we want to hear. And we won't put up with sound doctrine. We won't, we won't want the entire breadth of scripture preached. I only want, I, I'm, I'm, I want to go to church like I go to Luby's cafeteria. I want to go in there with my tray and pick out what I like. Can I tell you, this ain't no Luby's. This is grandma's house. Yeah, some of y'all don't know about grandma's house. Grandma's house, you come in, sit down, you're going to eat what I give you. And it better all be gone. See, when, when I grew up in grandma's house, see, some of y'all, never mind. <laughs> see, in a Hispanic home, grandma takes care of all the grandkids. So you're there with all your cousins, and there's too many huerquitos, too many kids to mess around and take personal orders. Grandma's going to make what she's going to make, and she has you sit down, and boy, you better eat it. I mean, you go, well, I don't know if I like grandma's house. I'm going to go to another church. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the way God's word is. He speaks out of the need of the people. See, that's, the, that's what the word says. The word says he'll speak out of your need. And sometimes it's not what you want, it's what you need. And so Jeremiah is telling his people, he's saying, yeah, come on now. We are going, what in the world? Miss Ora got to me this morning. She... <laughs> Some of our new folks are going, what is he talking about? Let me get to God's word. Turn in your Bibles to, to Daniel chapter 4. I'm going to give you some background on Daniel chapter 4. So Daniel ends up in Babylon. He's a young man, and he's being trained up as a magician, a magi, an astrologer, an astronomer. He is a, a soothsayer. He is being trained up in the pagan arts, but he's not pagan. He's holding to his tradition of being a godly man. And there is an interesting dream that takes place where King Nebuchadnezzar says, this dream has so troubled me, I need one of you wise men to come tell me what it's about. They said, okay, good. King, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it's about. He says, no, no, that's not how it works. He says, you tell me the dream and what it's about and I let you live. I'm feeding you, I'm caring for you, I'm, I'm providing all this, now it's time for you to earn it. They can't do it and they're having a lot of trouble until Daniel saves their hide. When Daniel saves their hide, he puts, them, he puts him in charge of the what? Of the magi. 
You want to know why the Magi came to visit Jesus? Because Daniel predicted to the day when Jesus would be born. Some of you are going, what? Did I tell you God's word was special? Okay, so then you get a chapter into it, and King Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten that Daniel's God is the one true God. Because he says, oh, Daniel's God is the one true God. And then one chapter later forgets. Come on, how many of us can say, what's wrong with you, man? Only to remember that we're that person. God does something special for us. God does something remarkable for us. We go, Lord, I'll never forget you. And then a couple days later, we've forgotten. So by chapter two, he's making a huge golden image. And, uh, and, and, and we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And during this story, we have a very simple thing take place. Very simple thing. In chapter three, you have the golden image take place. And, and, and what takes place is he says, this golden image represents the God of Babylon. And when you hear the, the, the music play, I need everyone to bow. At certain times, I want everyone to bow. These young men stand firm, and this is what they said to the king. They said, even if our God chooses not to save us, come on, how many of us know that God's in charge? He can choose to heal, he can choose to save, he can choose not to save. He says, even if he doesn't choose to save us, we still won't bow, we still won't bend, we still won't compromise. We will stand firm. And so he decides to throw him in the furnace. He, he, he orders the furnace made hotter than it's ever been before to the point that the guards that deliver the boys into the furnace die. So now the boys are in the furnace and the king's saying, my guards are dead, but I look into the furnace and I see three of them perfectly okay. And now I see a fourth. And the fourth looks like the son of God. Can I tell you that fourth was the son of God, is the son of God, forever will be the son of God. And this is the thing, when you are going through the furnace of affliction in life, you can be sure that God's son will show up. Now, some of us are saying, pastor, I'm going through the furnace right now. I'm having issues and the, and the heat's getting hotter in my job, in my life, with my emotions with my wife, with my children, whatever it might be, and you're calling out to Jesus Christ and you're saying, Lord, why don't you show up like you did in those three lives? And, and he's saying, I'm sitting right there on your coffee table. I'm sitting among your books. I'm on your iPhone. It's called YouVerse. It's on your iPad. I'm, see, some of you didn't get that. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You want God to show up? You want God to show up in live bodily form? And he's saying, I am in live bodily form. Listen to what the word says. In the beginning was the, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Can I tell you, this is Jesus. Jesus is here. Jesus is in your life. I heard a statistic the other day that said your average Christian home has half a dozen or more Bibles. Jesus is saying, I'm there. You just don't care to get to know me. 
You just don't care to hear what I have to say. You just leave me. One of my, one of my heroes in the faith is, uh, is, is the pastor of Love Worth Finding, Dr. Rogers. And Dr. Rogers says he so reveres the word of God that he will never let his Bible get dusty or place anything else on top of it. He wants everyone and especially his own heart to know where my Bible sits, it's always on top. I've started doing the same thing because God's word is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is his word. Some of us are sitting here and we're going, oh, I don't know. But yet your life reflects you don't know. And you have attitude even as I'm preaching here and you're going, ah, I don't. But, but it, show me with your life. Anybody can down can down this and have a smug attitude about it, but how you living, man? How you living? Because I can show you from God's word time and time again that this is a supernatural book. Let me show you real quickly how it's a supernatural book. So we get to chapter four and, and Daniel is presented with another dream. King Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the big tree. We talked about that last week. I won't cover it again. But Daniel comes in and gives him, gives him the meaning of this dream. And it's found in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, why is this about to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar? He's about to be made an example so that us might learn so that the living may know what that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes he sets over them the lowliest of people this is the interpretation your majesty he says this is the decree of the most high he has issued it against you you will be driven away from your people and you will live like a wild animal you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. That means you're not going to be inside. You're going to be outside in the field. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge, come on, say it with me, that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. So last week we talked about that it was a year after Daniel delivered this warning to him one year to the day. Listen to this. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the rooftop of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my might, power, and for the glory of my majesty? Come on, how many of you are going, oh, man, are you kidding me? Dude, what is wrong with you? Did you really just say that, it, like, in front of God? And listen to what the Bible says. While he was still talking, while the words were still on his lips, God began to perform what he told him a year ago. 
He lost his mind. He went out into the field and for seven years he acted like an animal and lived like an animal until he raised his sights to heaven and declared the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. What does that mean? God reigns supreme. You'll read it right there. Last week I covered it. I don't have time to cover it today. He says, so that you will know heaven rules. Heaven rules. You say, but what does that have to do? I don't, you know, the Old Testament, you got to tie it to the New Testament. You want to tie it to the New Testament? Watch this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. And the Most High is sovereign. That means He is everything. This is awesome. Because when you let God's Word give you that perspective, it changes everything. Let me give you a good, good little example. We were at South Padre, and uh, we're driving by this little area and there is a new Ferris wheel. I've never seen that before. We go every year and there's never been a Ferris wheel. And I look and I go, dude, that's like such a cute little Ferris wheel. I'm gonna do it. I'm not scared of that. That's easy, right? And so we go and get our tickets and then they actually put us on the Ferris wheel, right, Rick? And they put me and Melissa on first and, they, and, and I was fine. Down here, you're fine. You know, you get loaded on. I'm kind of swinging back and forth. And the guy kind of, he, he moves us up to load the next people and I'm still swinging and then I move up again and I'm like a little bit higher and I'm still swinging. And he says, you, sir, you may want to stop swinging because this Ferris wheel, it's old and it doesn't catch and it will just keep going. Now I got a whole new perspective. How many of you know, now I'm going like, babe, stop swinging. And she says, I wasn't, you were. Now I'm at the very top. And Rick and Nikki, Nikki, raise your hand, Miha. This is Nikki. Nikki's going, this is awesome. And Melissa's going, let me take a picture of Nikki. I'm like, stop. Because now I'm seeing this Ferris wheel through fresh eyes. I think the girls put it best when they said this looked like something held over from the Smithville Jamboree. I mean, this thing is not new. It's old. Where did you get this thing, guys? And I'm remembering the Geico commercial. You know what I'm talking about? What happens if someone dies? He said, we just pack up and move on to the next town. And, and I'm like, I'm having conversations with God now. See, some of us, we think everything's cool until it's not. Then you start having the conversation with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry if you get me through this, God. I promise I'll never, I will. I, you know, we start making all kinds of deals with the Lord. And I heard God gently tell me, if you had been talking to me like this, you would have never gotten on it. But you were thinking you were big. Come on, can I, t can I talk to someone here today? See, the truth is, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to his mind. He, his, his kingdom is, is reestablished. And then the very next chapter, 40 years have passed. Some scholars say 20, others say 40. Let's use somewhere between 20 and 40 years have passed. 
and his grandson now is co-regent. What do I mean by that? His son, Nebuchadnezzar, has to come out of retirement because the kingdom is being threatened. Who's it being threatened by? By the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus the Great, or King Cyrus, has defeated the Medes and has united kingdoms, and now he is coming for Babylon. He is coming for Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has to go out to meet him, and he leaves his son in charge. Now, some have said the Bible is wrong. How many of you know the Bible is never wrong? Because God cannot be wrong. And some have said in years past that the Bible is wrong because history doesn't show a Belshazzar as king. Belshazzar literally means Baal protect the king. Baal was the false god of the Babylonians. Baal protect the king. But yet in 1853, in the city of Ur, we found some inscriptions, archaeologists found some inscriptions that indicate the Bible was right. You go figure. See, the Bible says uh, that Belshazzar was king there in Babylon, but also talks about his father, Nebuchadnezzar, out over the armies. And watch what the Chronicles say there that they found in Babylon. It says, may it be that I, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, never fail you. And may my firstborn, Belshazzar, worship you with all his heart. They're talking about their, their false god here. It goes on to say, putting the camp under the rule of his oldest son, the firstborn, the army and the empire he placed under his command, which is exactly what the Bible says. Belshazzar, you're my oldest son. You rule in Babylon. I'm going to rule the army and I'll go fight this new empire that's coming towards us. He wasn't very successful because they reached Babylon. And that's where we pick it up in in chapter 5 of Daniel. Do you realize that Cyrus also refers to Belshazzar? In his writing, Cyrus says this. He says, a coward was put in charge as the king of this country. He goes on to talk about how he threw a party to Marduk, the false god. You know who threw a party to Marduk, the false god? Belshazzar in chapter 5 of Daniel, you have, listen to me, it's kind of like when Katrina was coming and those folks were throwing hurricane parties. Not a wise idea, was it? This isn't a wise idea either. You have the Persian Empire coming at you. Cyrus the king is coming and you decide to throw a party. You gather a thousand of your noblemen in your pride and you ask for all the treasury to be empty. This is what kings would do when they would conquer another kingdom. They would go into the temple and take the idol. The idol was usually made of what? Gold or silver or some precious metal. They would take it and they would put it in their treasury. And they would always put it underneath their God. And so he calls for Marduk, their God, to be placed in a prominent position and then all the false gods to be placed around him saying, we have always conquered every God that has come up against us. But when he remembered, hey, wait a minute, we conquered Israel or Judah. Where's the idol for Judah? Well, I remember my, my, my father said he went into the temple and there was no image. Because God says in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no image for me. 
but they took the articles, the goblets and the, and, and the glasses and the utensils, and he said, bring those out. We're going to drink out of them, indicating that we defeated Jah- Yahweh, Jehovah as well. And Jehovah shows up, and he begins to write a message on the wall. And as he wrote a message on the wall, listen to me, the Bible says that the man's hips were loosed and his knees began to knock. Another version said his bowels were loosed. I mean, he's having issues. No, no, no. Before you laugh, if a hand showed up and started inscribing on this metal, how would you feel? So let's not judge him too harshly. He calls all his magicians in, all his wise men, no one can tell him what, until the queen comes in. Now, we don't know if this is his mama or his grandmother, but we do know she's old enough, listen to me, to remember Daniel. She says, your grandfather had a man who was wise, who could solve enigmas and riddles and could advise him and even tell him his dreams. This man served the awesome God, the one that you are discrediting here. You should maybe call him and see what he has to say. He says, whoever, listen to me, whoever can tell me this will be third in command. Why? Because his father is first in command. He's second in command. Third was up for grabs. Daniel comes in and says, you can keep your reward. You can keep your title. I'll tell you because this is what God has said to you. And this is what he says to him. Daniel chapter five, verse 25. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene. What does it mean? It means God has numbered your days. Your reign is numbered and it has been brought to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and you have, you have been found to have no character and no substance. Uh-oh. Watch this. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That means Cyrus is going to take you. And this very night, you will die. You say, what? You know what else it says? It says that King Darius was 62 years old when he took over Babylon. That day you go, but but wait a minute. See, and some historians try to say, oh, the Bible's wrong. The Bible's wrong because Cyrus was king, and we knew that Cyrus was king. Who was this Darius? First of all, Darius is not a first name. It is a title. And secondly, even the chronicles of Babylon indicate that there was a Darius. Read with me. According to historical records, a man named Gubaru, a Mede, was appointed by King Cyrus to be a ruler in Babylon at the time. Gubaru was born in 601 B.C., which would make him 62 years old when they invaded Babylon. This is exactly the age Daniel indicates Darius was in Daniel chapter 5, verse 31. The Bible is never wrong. You want to hear something more impressive? Isaiah, years, generations earlier, predicted by name and wrote a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45 to Cyrus the king. 
and he calls him the anointed one of God, the shepherd of God, the one that God would use to what? To defeat the Babylonians at the end of Israel's captivity, and it would be Cyrus and his, his empire that would allow Israel to go back home. What did Jeremiah say? It will be 70 years before you get to come back home. But behold, I know the plans I have. Come on, someone give an amen. Behold, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But it will be 70 years before that happens. And Isaiah says, by name, the man that God will use is Cyrus. He's mentioned 23 times in the Old Testament. Can you imagine when Cyrus comes to Babylon and the prophet Daniel says, here's the prophet Isaiah and what he had to say about you, brother. This is awesome. I've just shown you a smidgen of what God's word is able to do, but it's still talking and it's still talking to you. The question is, are you listening? When was the last time you got in God's word and let it shape your perspective? Let it be what gives you courage. Let it be what girds you up and gives you the, 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 the confidence to walk humbly but completely sure that God's got you. And nothing can touch you unless the king, the sovereign king, the most high, who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. He does whatever he wishes. And who can say to him, what have you done? No one. No one. So, as the worship team comes up, 23 years ago, I found out I was having this beautiful little thing. And that scared me more than the hand scared Belshazzar. (laughs) I'm just being honest with you. And I started thinking, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to, and I, 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 I. And then finally, finally, my upbringing kicked in. And my upbringing told me, why don't you pray to God? And in that moment, I knelt down and I said, Lord, I give you my wife, I give you my child, I give you my life, I give you everything, and I pray that you would take control. And Lord, I'm going to trust that if I put her in your hands, everything's going to be okay. And can I tell you, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. And he gets the glory and he is sovereign and he is awesome and wonderful and kind and his mercy endures forever. He is faithful to forgive and when I have said, when I've done wrong, I ask for forgiveness and he straightens my path and he wipes my sin away and his blood washes over me and he no longer sees my sin, but instead he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he just keeps blessing and he keeps giving. And every year I have people say, Pastor, you live, a, you live an awesome life. And I say, God has done it all. Because I remember that day. 
Then I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I can run out there and I can try to do it myself or I can say, Lord, here I am. I give it to you. I give it to you. So you might be here today and you might be tempted. What do I do about my marriage? What do I do about my life? What do I do about my future? What do I do? And I'm here to tell you, get a godly perspective and say, Lord, you speak over my life. You give me direction. You lead me. You take over. And from this moment on, God, I follow the Most High who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And you, you do what you wish. So this is where we finish. I think you need to have a conversation with God. Say, Pastor, are you going to lead us? No. I'll tell you what I did. I got on my knees. And I said, Lord, help me be the father you need me to be. Help me be the husband you need me to be. My whole career, it's in your hands. My life, it's in your hands. Have a similar conversation with him. I love you guys. Have a great, great week. Yeah.